Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by David Stokes, Susan Pendergrass, and Patrick Ishmael from the Show Me Institute. So the 2020 census data came out, and Missouri grew overall by 2.8%, but some counties had double-digit growth. Platt County was leading the way with close to 20% growth. Patrick, that's in your um, neck of the woods was there anything that stuck out from uh, from this data, where people are moving around the state, and generally the low number of people moving in from outside the state? What uh, what were your takeaways? Yeah, you know, I think it's mostly what we thought we were going to see. Uh, if you look across the country, uh, the U.S. grew about 7%. And so I think that is kind of a good baseline to, to look at all of these numbers that we're seeing. Is it above 7%? Is growth below 7%? You know, the state of Missouri, like you said, only grew about 2.8%. And a lot of that, I think, is because, you know, folks are moving from rural areas into cities or out just simply outside the state. Um, you look in the cities themselves, uh, the Kansas City metropolitan area grew about 9%. Uh, the Columbia metropolitan area grew about 10%. Springfield, about 9%. Uh, one of the biggest outliers, and this is an outlier that Coriana, uh, one of our great analysts here at the Institute, talked about on the blog, uh, St. Louis grew about 1%. And, and even if you expand out what you include to be St. Louis or Kansas City into the combined statistical area, uh, where you're including you know, more far-flung places like in the St. Louis area, places like Centralia, uh, even in that case, St. Louis grew even less by a half percent. Kansas City grew about 8%. Um, I, I think that it, it is generally speaking a, a good outcome for places like Kansas City or Columbia or Springfield. They're basically at or above the average, although Kansas City has a little bit of a, a problem because that's a metropolitan area that's divided by a state line. And so half of that growth is happening in the Kansas side. And in fact, the Kansas side is growing faster than the Missouri side is. So that's a long-term threat. A lot of the single family housing that's going to be happening in the Kansas City area is going to be in Kansas. And I think that over the course of the next 20 years, you're going to see Kansas start approaching equaling or going in excess of what the population is on the Missouri side of Kansas City. But I think in St. Louis, you're seeing basically what we kind of expected uh, uh, over the course of the last few years, where St. Louis City continues to decline in population. Uh, St. Louis County is kind of uh, in, in neutral and uh, St. Charles County continues to, to uh, show gangbusters growth. Even uh, Lincoln County is starting to see significant growth. So, you know, you, in, in Kansas City, the power base is still kind of in the center of the city, but moving toward Kansas. In St. Louis, the power base is moving towards St. Charles. And, and I think that that is really needs to compel some hard um, thinking about what is going wrong in St. Louis? And when we've described, you know, the things that you have to solve in St. Louis City when it comes to education and taxation uh, and, and crime, um, but it, it is something that St. Louis leaders need to get serious about because I think the census was another wake-up call where it wasn't just people moving out of uh, St. Louis City into some other part of the region is people who are either not coming to the St. Louis region at all or moving out of the St. Louis region entirely. Um, that is a serious threat. But, um, you know, I, I think overall, uh, everything was pretty much what we expected. But uh, I think if, if, if we're going to get serious about a certain area of the state and only one area of the state, I think St. Louis needs to, to be uh, one of our major focuses uh, as, as policymakers go back to, to Jefferson City in, uh, in January. So, David, as someone who's lived in St. Louis for uh, most of your life, 
new mayor comes in and we see numbers like this. It seems like the mayor's office was actually a little bit uh, happy with the numbers that they the city proper didn't fall under 300,000. They expect. Do you think we're experiencing bottoming out? Do you think this trend continues? I do not know. <laughs> I do not know if we're if we're bottoming out. I guess the question would be when is when is is St. Louis City going to be Detroit and keep keep falling to a point where you really do bottom out and things get so bad as they did in Detroit? that things finally do change and things do turn around. But nobody wants to hit that level of a bottom. And I don't think people think St. Louis is is there at all. It, you know, the crime and I think the crime in some of the parts of the city of St. Louis and even parts of St. Louis County has gotten just terrible again over the past two years here. So that's that's the biggest threat. I, I don't think this census was a wake-up call to St. Louis City officials, many of whom reacted more with happiness that they were still over 300,000 and that the population loss wasn't as large as they'd feared than, than with concern over the fact that the continued population loss of the last six, seven, eight decades has, a, has continued on. I don't know when it's going to bottom. I hope it doesn't. I hope it turns around tomorrow. But w- with the crime as it is, and the basic public school system, as 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 poor as it is, and and other issues, uh, taxation being too high in the city, uh, although I think crime in schools are a bigger issue than that. I don't see the Saint, I don't see the city of St. Louis uh, turning around anytime soon, and that's going to affect St. Louis County uh, substantially as well. Susan, you uh, recently were one of the people that moved out of St. Louis City. And uh, according to the census data, you moved in the wrong direction. You went east. Everyone else is going to the south and to the west. But uh, as someone who lived in St. Louis City, uh, were you surprised at all by by this data? Well, I guess a little, but it's long-term data, right? So it's from 2010 to 2020. And I do think that that was a period of decline in St. Louis. I mean, obviously, in this past year, we've seen the real estate market in St. Louis is as crazy as it is anywhere. But St. Louis has not... You know, when I lived there, I only lived there for seven years, but when I lived there, um, they have not gotten the basics right. They have not gotten safety right. They have not gotten, uh, you know, police responding to phone calls right. And if and if a family doesn't feel safe, granted, the schools have the massive challenges of their own. They're losing enrollment right and left, and that means families are leaving. Once families leave, then the city, I think, is really in trouble. But as you know, a lot of parents in St. Louis who can choose private schools, and so they find a way to make it work. But if you don't get safety right, then why would you want to raise your family in a place where you don't feel safe walking from your car to your house or where you expect your car to get rifled through every night? You know, it's a, these are the basic things that St. Louis really needs to work on. While I lived there, uh, several new fun projects happened, a Ferris wheel, a, a, an aquarium, shopping districts. And those things to me are like, you know, they should be way down the line. That's like planning a vacation when you can't pay your power bill. I just, I don't think they've gotten the basics right. And I think until they do, um, it's not going to be an attractive place for families. And, you know, recently the St. Louis Public School Board voted for this symbolic moratorium on new schools, meaning charter schools, until uh, they can prove that enrollment is growing overall or they don't have to close any more St. Louis public schools. And that's the kind of thinking that'll make families leave. Or won't bring families in that kind of thinking of, you know, let's not give parents the schools they want. Let's force them into the schools we have is the kind of thing that, 
you know, is the opposite of the direction that cities like Indianapolis and Memphis are going in where, you know, they're, they're working to put together portfolios of schools that parents like, even D.C. on the East Coast, but still they've sort of embraced that portfolio approach and enrollment overall in the system, charter and non-charter, has gone up. But St. Louis is not, um, you know, there's a lot of forces working against that kind of thinking right now. So, David, if you were in the room in uh, St. Louis County, St. Louis City, making helping to make these decisions, what are some things that Susan mentioned public safety and basic services, but what are some other things that you would focus on as you see uh, St. Louis building soccer stadium and we, you know, we have the wheel, we have the aquarium, we have all these fun things, but we're, we're still leaking population. So if you were in the room, what would be some things that you'd want to focus on? Well, I, th- I, I think Susan was right. It is, it is crime and it is crime in schools and it's, it's probably crime even even more than schools. How do you there's just so many people. They they want to attract young people to live in the West End, live down downtown, live in in the lofts, the new condos, wherever it may be. And in the last 20 years they've, they've certainly had success in that. Uh, I lived in the Central West End. I lived downtown and it was it was great. But the number of people who then get married and have kids and choose to stay uh, it's a very that's a very small number, and it's it tends to be people who are wealthy enough in the Central West End or parts of Southwest City to afford to afford private schools, or perhaps get their luckily get their kids into the magnet school program, or or, or choose the charter schools. But if you're not safe, you're not going to make that that choice. And St. Louis had the highest murder. The highest murder total ever by rate by mur- by murder rate last year, and this year the crime rate is still way 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 too high, and that's even comparing it to just ten years ago. So if people aren't safe, they're not they're not going to stay. And and we've read reports by uh, columnist McPherson who's written about how crime is really expanding in St. Louis County as well, and it's very it's very very frightening how dangerous. Parts of North North St. Louis County are certain other parts. We see a lot of crime where I live in University City, and and it's very frightening. I should say I should have said before I loved living in St. Louis. I didn't move away because I didn't like it. I moved away for different reasons. I really liked it, but what we did really like about it was the walkability, and the great parks. But before we moved, it got to the point where we did not go to the parks or walk to restaurants and bars after dark. I would not go to a park after dark in St. Louis. And uh, that's a problem. You know what I mean? That's a big problem. If you have great uh, restaurant districts, but you can't safely walk there after dark, um, then what's the point of having it? So I would say, I want to say, like, I love St. Louis. It's not that I don't like St. Louis, but there are things that um, you know, even if we were going to stay in the St. Louis area, we probably would have moved out of the city just because the the service the level of basic services just isn't there. Yeah, I I, I want to hop in too because I want to make clear too that I I love St. Louis as well. I think every analyst here has lived or lives in St. Louis. I lived there for uh, about eleven years. I went there for undergraduate. I went there for law school. I stayed there and worked. Um, and uh, you know I was attracted to St. Louis and probably would have been inclined to stay there. Uh, for a variety of reasons, but always something that would work against not only my calculation, but also other people's calculation is, you know, the, the crime rate is an issue. Um, can you can you uh, live in St. Louis City and are you going to be happy about the education that you get there? I think that's always an issue for uh, attracting and retaining families. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I lived in the Central West End. I lived off of Washington Avenue. I lived by SLU. Like I, I lived in that, you know, kind of swath of St. Louis that St. Louis wants to be really hot. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But unless, you know, just like Susan said, if you can't get the basics right, uh, you're not going to be able to keep people there long term. And, and, and really, o- over time, you want to make sure that you're getting people early and that those people stay around. They, they contribute to your tax base by buying property, that they're invested in, in the city, that they're having kids and that they're staying and you know, they're retaining those connections over time. And St. Louis, unfortunately, has done a very bad job when it comes to getting control of crime. Uh, and, and getting a handle on education. And then I think, you know, the third thing is probably taxation too, because the earnings tax doesn't help either. Right. Um, but, but, but all those things taken together, uh, you know, I, I think we all love St. Louis and, and that's why it hurts to see them, uh, see St. Louis in that situation that it's in now. Uh, but, you know, uh, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the next best time is to plant it today. And if we're going to start reforming, that reform has to start sooner rather than later, because the later it goes, the harder it is to see some some natural fruit uh, be born from it. Well, one state that was in the top 10 in population growth was the state of Florida. And Susan, this week they announced, uh, or I guess it was last week, they announced a um, emergency um, school choice program, uh, the HOPE scholarship program. So can you fill us in on the details of that? Yeah. So I think when I was in elementary school a million years ago, we had the math wars. I think you'd have to be living under a rock today to not realize that right now is the math wars. I mean, there are school board meetings erupting into chaos all across the country. There are school boards walking out of meetings. There's people yelling and screaming at each other because parents thought, I guess, uh, that this year was going to start off in a normal way. Kids could get their backpacks and school supplies. Teachers could decorate their rooms and we'd, we'd be off. But now we have the Delta variant and mask mandates coming back. And some parents love them and some parents hate them. And a lot of people don't want them mandated. And um, some states, a couple of states so far, Florida being one, have given parents a way out. So if you are a parent of a child in a district that has a mask mandate that you don't want your small child to have to wear a mask all day, which I completely get, uh, you can participate in their already existing HOPE scholarship program and get a scholarship to change schools. And the HOPE Scholarship Program was developed a few years ago really to serve students who are bullied, who are don't, who don't feel safe in their schools, um, and they have a process for determining how you qualify for that. But they just basically expanded the definition to uh, students and families who feel bullied by uh, physical space that they don't want to participate in, meaning that you have to wear a mask. Um, and I suppose if masks, I mean, Miami has already announced they're going to mandate masks and other Florida counties, one's getting around it by adding masks to the dress code. So uh, I would say districts are pushing back in Florida against the governor's mandate that you cannot, the governor's decision that you cannot have a mask mandate. But what I'm hearing today and late yesterday is that the federal government might get involved and override governors to say that governors cannot forbid mask mandates and that it's possible that the federal government will trump governors on this. So I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I think there's going to be and the the school board leadership nationally um, has been flip flopping on whether teachers have to get vaccinated, whether there should be mask mandates. So they haven't been clear. And um, my takeaway from all of the mask wars is could be math, could be masks. Parents should not be forced to send their child to a school that doesn't teach what and how they want. 
they should have at least two options in all cases. As parents have gotten like hyper involved in education in the last year, which with actually like delivering it, they see the curriculum, they see other things that they don't like. And many, many parents, even parents in very wealthy school districts are feeling really stuck right now. And they're feeling stuck with something they don't like. And, you know, next year it could be something else. But the takeaway is every parent, and this is how I feel like every parent in Missouri should have two options. You should not have to send your child to a school that's either teaching um, curriculum or teaching in a way that you disagree with. Uh, Everyone, you know, you pay property taxes and and rent, and you should have at least one other option, Uh, whether that's high quality virtual, inner district choice, where you could go to the district next door that doesn't have a mask mandate or open it up like Arizona's governor has done and Florida's governor has done just expand a school choice, existing school choice program to let parents use it uh, in sort of an emergency way to um, exit the school system with the mask mandate. Missouri has theoretically an existing school choice program now as of the last legislative session. Students could get up to $6,500 in scholarships. It is not yet funded because it gets funded by individual and corporate taxpayers making donations. So it's not yet funded. But what um, Governor DeSantis in Florida and Governor Ducey did is use stimulus money. And we have buckets of it. We have two billion coming in under the American Rescue Plan, the latest round of uh, education stimulus funding. And Governor um, Ducey in Arizona took 10 million and it's a first come first serve $7,000 in scholarship money for parents who want it. And Governor Parson could do something similar. Uh, There have been very contentious school board meetings around St. Louis in Rockwood and Parkway. I think there are gotta be unhappy parents in St. Louis and Kansas City. Kansas City just decided, North Kansas City just decided to do a mask mandate. You know, parents are finding out the week before school starts whether or not their child has to wear a mask all day. And, you know, for parents of kindergartners, they may, may very well just sit the school year out like they like a lot of parents did last year. Uh, why send a five-year-old who's never been and have them start their education experience wearing masks all day with their teacher wearing a mask? If you're five years old, that could even be, I mean, maybe by now they're kind of accustomed to it, but I can understand a parent keeping their kids out. So we're just going to create a bigger, you know, gap in, in education and I think we should give every parent a way out. Same is true for parents of children in mask optional districts. If they want to send their child to a school where everyone's wearing a mask, they should be able to use public funds to do that. Patrick, uh, you've been working with parents on your uh, some parents on your CRT transparency project. Do you think we'll look back in 10 years and see this as a turning point for a lot of things in education, but specifically for, as Susan mentioned, parent engagement and the 2020 2021 school year as a, a a an inflection point where whether it was CRT or mass mandates or that parents started to um, become more and more involved in the education system and and what that could mean for changing the status quo. You know, I it, it could. I, I guess I would kind of compare it to the Tea Party movement of like 2009 2010 because I think at that time there was a. Uh, a, a thought that, well, that would be a you know, watershed moment for, uh, you know, the conservative movement, folks from the right. And then you, you look, you know, uh, in 2016, 2017, 2018, and that half of the movement uh, is becoming a lot more interested in robust government involvement and in decision making in ways that I think as the Tea Party movement, you would have thought that it would have 
maybe been a little bit more hands off. So um, I, I think that uh, kind of like the Tea Party movement, uh, it could be really intense for a short period of time and then uh, evolve into something else uh, that is still positive later on that may not be nearly as intense. It may be a watershed moment. We don't know. But I, I think that we really need to have a little bit more time to know for sure. I, you know, I can speak from my family experience. My, my sister-in-law uh uh, took her kids out of uh, their local school just a couple weeks ago. She's going to homeschool them uh, because of a mask mandate. And I think that that is going to be, you know, I, I don't know how we define common here, but I think that that may be happening a lot more often than school administrators are prepared to admit at this point, because it's, it's one thing, <clears throat> excuse me, it's one thing to, to take kids out for, you know, the school is failing or you don't like the content. But uh, taking them out uh, for something like a mask mandate, you know, some people may not think it's a big deal, but for a lot of Americans, for a lot of families, it really is a big deal. They don't want a mask on their kids. Uh, and so um, I, I, I do think that, that a lot of parents are reconsidering what their conceptions of a uh, public education look like for sure. Um, and so what that looks like in five years or 10 years, whether homeschooling becomes a very large thing, a very you know, widespread thing, more widespread than it is now. I, I, I don't know what the figures are. And Susan can, can you know, well, it's tripled. it has tripled in the last year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that maybe upwards of five or six percent of all students right now are, are being homeschooled. And that's a huge, huge number. That's a that's a huge political constituency as well. Uh, and that's independent of, you know, the folks who are sympathetic to that, uh, that perspective who are in public schools or, or in private schools where they just want, in, in a lot of respects, to be left alone and to make their own decisions about what their education looks like. So, uh, you know, it, it, will the intensity surrounding something like CRT, will that extend for, you know, years in the future? I, I don't know. We will see. Um, but uh, I do think that there are some changes being made and it's it's just like anything. It, time will tell uh, what that final um, political movement looks like. But uh, I think that, you know, at least for now, Parents getting tuned in and engaged in their in their kids' education, that's a positive development, and I hope it sticks around. I will say this, though, Zach, that 2021 is already considered a breakthrough year for school choice. Uh, 18 states, I believe, enacted seven new programs, and 21 programs got expanded, and Missouri joined the group, thank goodness. So it's already cons- being considered a huge year for school choice. So that, that's one thing that I don't think you're putting that uh, – you're back in the box. I don't think you're going to put that toothpaste back in the tube, however they say it. Uh, Secondly, the federal government does a survey every two years called the National Household Education Survey. And one question they ask parents is, does your child attend homeschool, private school, public school that they're assigned to, or public school that you chose? And public school assigned used to be like high 80s, 90%. I mean, we've always had about 10% 10 of students, nine or 10% going to um, private school, another one to 2% being homeschooled. But when you take the public school students, almost all of them were at their assigned public school. And that includes asking parents if they move to the neighborhood for their school in which they still call that assigned. The percent attending chosen public school continues to grow so that assigned public school is now down below 70 percent maybe two-thirds it's still a lot but uh i think in time as that number gets closer to how only half of students are attending their assigned public schools i think finally the kind of stranglehold that the i hate to say like you know the education establishment the people who want to really strongly defend a step the status quo the teacher union leadership 
will have to begin to realize that they've lost their grip on it. And uh, it's they are losing their grip on it. And it's already been a huge year for school choice. So I think that young people in their, you know, 20s and 30s who are just starting families right now, many, you know, a much higher percent of, of them expect that when their child turns four or five, they're going to choose the kindergarten, that it's not going to be the one based on their address. So that number is just only going to keep getting bigger. And that's, and that's a wonderful thing. And we just need to keep expanding school choice programs in Missouri and, and elsewhere around the country. It's, I hope Susan's right, and I think she is. I mean, they're not, they're not putting it back in the tube, and it's going to be great. Another area of education we've been talking about a lot is funding, and specifically stimulus funding. There's a Missouri school district in Camdenton that uh, has taken, at this point, a, a unique step, right, David? Well, in Camdenton is a school district in Lake of the Ozarks, which many Missourians are, are very familiar with. And they, just the other night, they just refused $8 million in, in federal aid. I think it was COVID funding because they didn't want the strings that came along with the, with the funds. And they said that, uh, you know, the articles I've read about it, it's a short article, said that they've got the money they need and they've already budgeted for the projects they want to do. And they just flat turned down $8 million. And that's a very hard choice to make, but a very impressive one. And I hope you see cities and counties and schools and local governments at every level, when they look at this, tax revenues weren't nearly as bad in 2020 as everybody thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. Cities, counties, schools did just fine even before. In most instances, there are some exceptions even before the federal aid. So it would be wonderful to see far more local governments just send the money back and saying, no, thanks, don't need it. We don't want the strings of the rules that come with it. Do you th- it's so interesting, too, because in Missouri, uh, state funding is based on student uh, en- enrollment, but really student attendance, like who shows up every day. And um, in 2021, well, every year, it's in the law, you can either use this year's attendance or you could use the year before or you could use the year before that. So 2021, when it was really hard to take attendance, most likely districts used 1920 or 1819. They can still do that. So in a sense, districts are held harmless on state funding. They can keep using their same enrollment from before, whether kids have left or not. Um, in addition, I don't think that they realized how much, how specifically they had to spend the money. And there is a threat that the money could be pulled back. Right. And maybe not by this administration, but in 2024, who knows who's going to be in charge? That money could get pulled back. And I think a lot of districts I've looked at some uh, like um, financial statements of some of the smaller districts in Missouri that seem to get a lot of money per student because they have 30 or 40 students. And what I've seen is there it's sitting in their revenue column. It's just sitting there. They haven't spent it. And I suspect they don't know what exactly they're allowed to spend it on or whether or not they should do it. So I applaud Camdenton taking the smart move and giving it back doesn't happen often in public sector in the public sector it doesn't and, and there's no denying that those those lake of the ozark school districts not just Camden, that, that anytime you have an area with a lot of vac- really expensive vacation homes those school districts have a lot of money because those are expensive vacation homes paying property taxes but not having kids in them going to the local public school so they have a lot of money per child so i so they might be in a slightly better position than than other governments, but they still deserve a great deal of credit for for making this choice for saying we're fine, we don't need it, we don't want the strings, we can do we can do right by our kids ourselves without it, and I hope other districts follow. I agree, and you know Rand put a study out yesterday or the day before yesterday, um, 
RAND is a, is a government research organization, basically. And they have been surveying superintendents about what they expect in the next few years fiscally, how they're feeling, how they're doing now. Most superintendents said they have more money than they expected, but what they expect in the next few years. And superintendents are beginning to say that they expect a fiscal cliff. In other words, they are talking already about the moment when the federal money goes away, that they'll be getting a cut. And they're not uh, realizing that this is, in fact, just a windfall. And that happened in the last recession with the race to the top funds. And uh, President Obama had two race to the top and ARRA, which were just a big influx of cash for the recession. And when that went away the next year, districts considered it a cut. So I anticipate a lot of districts will take the opposite approach of Camdenton and in 2023 or 2024 complain that their funds have been cut because the federal influx is now gone. Yeah, and I think there'll be a lot of uh, FOMO, a lot of fear of missing out. School districts will see this as a as a one-time opportunity, or I guess now a three-time opportunity to take advantage. And I don't think that uh, a lot will be jumping at the chance to pass that up. But I, I'm hearing, I'm reading anecdotally about school districts that are using it to hire teachers. Well, that's a huge mistake. That's a long-term commitment. Then the money's going to go away. Like, I don't know what their plan is after 2023. If you hire a new staff, you have to keep paying them. And the federal money is theoretically going to go away. All right. Wrapping up, Patrick, what are you uh, looking forward to in the next week? Well, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, uh, there is an affordable housing project that that we are working on. The fact that census data has come out when it has is very useful. Uh, And so I will be going through all of that, finding out exactly if the trends that we've been looking at over the last decade uh, are borne out in this latest uh, tranche of data. Uh, and uh, again, uh, you know, in the next few weeks, I think I'll be talking a little bit more about what I've been finding, but uh, affordable housing is a hot topic. CRT remains a hot topic. That project continues, uh, but affordable housing is uh, on the front burner at the moment, uh, and uh, some, some interesting stuff is, uh, is poking through from it so far. Susan? Well, I guess I'm going to look to see whether the federal government decides to override governors on mask mandates. I mean, that I think will... Uh, ratchet up the level of chaos happening across states if uh, governors get overridden. I don't think it's going to happen quietly. David. With how we've talked about the census numbers and growth in Missouri, with what's happening internationally right now, uh, I'm looking to hearing more about and hopefully, hopefully talking more about, maybe even in the way a think tank does doing more about uh, the, the idea that should some of these Afghan refugees and refugees from from other parts of the world taking suffering right now, such as in Hong Kong, as the, the Chinese Communist Party cracks down on freedoms in Hong Kong, uh, should should more of those refugees from Afghanistan, Hong Kong, and elsewhere come to St. Louis, Kansas City too, but especially St. Louis to help us to help us reverse these growth patterns? We saw what an amazing success the Bosnian. Uh, refugees and immigrants to St. Louis were in the 1990s, and I'd love to see that repeated at some level here. Plenty more at showmeinstitute.org. Thank you all very much. 